And I want to welcome those who are worshipping with us on LifeGate Outreach TV, watching this on our YouTube channel or listening to the audio podcasts by iTunes. I want to say you are very welcome and God richly bless you in Jesus' name. Welcome to a brand new month. It is July already. What an awesome God we serve. 2018 is zooming so fast and I'm sure very soon by the grace of God we will be wishing each other Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It comes so quickly and so this just should remind us that every day we are getting closer and closer to the coming back of the Lord. You see, if it was 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, it's no longer 2,000 years. It's as simple as that. We must understand that life is very precious and the Bible says we must be redeeming the time because the days are evil. So I want to encourage us to continue to make the most of time because time is really passing by very quickly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we want to thank God for the new season we are in. We are starting a brand new series that will take us nine full sessions in the course of the uh, month. And uh, this month and next month by the special grace of God. Praise the Lord. We want to thank God because the way God deals with us in this church um, is like we run a Bible school on a weekly basis. Ever since this church started, God has been helping us to come into a place where we are able to uh, discover topics and things that he's speaking to us uh, on a regular basis. We have this season, July and August, as our season of empowered to be witnesses by divine help. The whole year we're looking at divine help, divine help. So by the grace of God, we are looking, we last, last couple of months we looked at being um, uh, enjoying holiness by divine help and so today we are starting a brand new series which is basically being empowered to be witnesses by divine help divine help is simply god helping us amen god helping us that is divine help and so i want us to understand that when the bible commands us to be witnesses then is expecting us to rely on him. A witness is somebody who can testify on the behalf of another. And God wants us to rely on him to be witnesses and effective witnesses. So we read our key scripture will be from, we will be looking throughout this nine series at the entire book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. And uh, what we are covering today is just just the first four chapters, Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 4. And uh, we want to thank God for that um, privilege to be able to, to do so. Today we are looking at the theme, Empowered by Unity. Somebody say, Empowered by Unity. This is very important for us to understand, to know the place of unity in the matters that concern us and our deployment as witnesses. I'd like to start by reading Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's read that together. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. 
Now we know when we read the, the Bible passages today, I hope you were all following. We read from Acts chapter 1, from verse 1 to 8, then we read from chapter 2, from verse 1 to 16, and also from verse 40 to 47. But for the sake of understanding this series very well, I want to encourage you, please go and read the entire chapter 1, the entire chapter 2, the entire chapter 3, and the entire chapter 4, so that you can get the context of today's message alone. Next week, we'll move to chapters 5 and so on. But if, if you want to really learn and be studious uh, as a child of God and as a student of the Bible, you need to read the Bible. Our generation does not read as much as we ought to read. And we have all the tools that should help us read. We even have audio books that read to us. We have Bibles that can read to us. But we still don't find time to read. There is no way as a Christian you can ever be deep if you don't read. The reason why many people are going into error today in the body of Christ is because they don't take time to check what they hear from the pulpits or from the internet or from the television. They take everything hook, line, and sinker, so they are confused. They take it from this person today, it is A, this person tomorrow says B, and then they are wondering what it is. They have never taken time themselves to go by the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, what is in the scripture concerning a matter? And I want you to know that if you make your own search, God always confirms his word because he's not the author of confusion. Amen. It is the Spirit of God that gives us clarity. So I want to encourage you, please, this is very serious matters. Acts chapter 1 this week, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. Make sure you read it tonight so that as we go in the context of the prayer throughout the week, you will be understanding where we are coming from because our emphasis is on empowerment by unity. Now, the verse we have put up on the scripture is a command to all believers worldwide. These were the words of Jesus when he was about to ascend Acts chapter 1 in context is Jesus about to go back to the Father after his mission. We know he has resurrected. And the Bible says that he told the disciples who were with him at that time, who became the apostles, he said to them, you all tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father that the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when that Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses. Now, every week for the next nine weeks, we'll be reading this verse before we start every session. The Bible says, Jesus said, you and I will be witnesses. We shall be witnesses. It is not something that we will choose to do. It is something we have been commanded to do. And a Christian on earth today that does not understand Acts chapter 1 verse 8 will live a frustrated Christian life. Christianity is not about taking on a religion and then living a lifestyle that just says I'm a Christian. It is about taking on a lifestyle that is in full obedience to this commandment, becoming a witness for Jesus Christ. After all, Christians are Christ-like people. And the same Christ said to them when he was going back to the Father that I will go to the Father, prepare a place for you, but before I come back for you, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. So whilst this is a mandate for the entire body of Christ, as a church mission, we find this very, very important. And I want to encourage you, if you're a member of this church or intending to be a member of this church, to understand how God has given us the fourfold vision objective, which is shown on the banners to the left and right of myself, uh, in the raising with God a people of purity, power, purpose, and prosperity. 
They are not words that just sound good to us. They are not a cliche to us. They are a commandment that is rooted in this verse that we have just read. The Bible says Jesus looked at the disciples and he says, But you, talking about the pure, the holy ones, the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church, the church that he first formed in the persons of Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Bartholomew, and all those people who were with him when he died and resurrected again, including Thomas, our good friend. He said to all of them, he said, you, you, talking about the holy ones. Now we read throughout, for the past eight weeks, we kept on reading from First Peter chapter 1, from verse, 4 to verse, uh, from verse 14 to verse 16, uh, 13 to verse 16, and in First Peter 1, 15, he said that we must understand that as he who called us is holy, we also must be holy in all our conduct. So holiness and purity is, a, is an exclusive preserve of as many that he has called out. Hallelujah. So when Jesus said, but you, he was not talking to those who are yet to be saved. He was talking to those he has already saved, those he has already transformed their lives by imparting to them, those who have been baptized at that time. And he said to them, you shall receive power. And that is where our second vision objective comes to us. That we who are a people called of God to live in purity must also be a people who will walk in power. Hallelujah. The Bible says in John 1.12, as many that received him he gave them what power to become the sons of god so we have power and jesus speaking here he said that that power that you have to become the sons of god will it will come upon you by the holy spirit the power to be witnesses as sons of god will come upon you as the holy spirit comes upon you and you will be able to be my witnesses and so our third vision objective is established the word purpose in our third vision objective refers to us being witnesses. You can write down 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. The Bible says, but he called us through Jesus Christ unto himself. He reconciled us through Jesus Christ unto himself. Verse 17, just before that, I'm just going through all this because we have a lot to go through before we close today on these matters. And uh, in, in that Second uh, Corinthians 5, 17, he said, you are a new creation all things have passed away if any man be in christ but in verse 18 he said god has reconciled us unto himself and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation to be witnesses who are also going out and reconciling others to him and so it is important that we understand that this is our purpose when you meet a person and you ask them who are you most of the time, what people say is what they do. They either say, I'm a student, or I'm working, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a teacher, or I'm whatever. You see, whilst we are those things, the real purpose, particularly for those of us who have been called to be Christians, those of us who have been called out and are now Christians, we must understand that our first and foremost primary purpose is that we be witnesses. Amen. Our first and foremost primary purpose is that we be witnesses. Hallelujah. And then the word of prosperity comes in by the fourth thing he said to them. Let's read together. He said, 
But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We read from Zechariah 1.17 that my cities through prosperity shall be spread abroad. The Bible says we are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid in Matthew chapter 5 from verse 14 to verse 16. So when we talk about prosperity, unfortunately, this is a word that has been so abused in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, it's almost like a taboo to mention the word prosperity these days because a lot of people have used it so wrongly. Prosperity is a divine mandate. It is of God that there be a prosperous church. It is not about money. It's not about trade by butter or I saw this, I get that. All that nonsense is a perversion of the enemy that has come to cripple one of the most significant and important aspects of the gospel. The word of prosperity is what is to enable the church, the witnesses, to go forth and preach the gospel beyond their shores. Prosperity is having enough to be able to live life and also to be able to do the things God has called you to do. There is nobody, no matter who they are, as wealthy as they can be in the things of God and in the knowledge of scripture that can ever be an effective witness if they don't have the means to do so. So prosperity is first about a soul that is prospered. And then a spirit man that is prospered, first a spirit man that is prospered, then a soul that is prospered, and a body that is physically healthy and also having the resources to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents, is a type of the church, a place where it's like Mount Zion, where the saints should gather and be taught regularly and be waiting continuously for an infilling of the Holy Spirit, and then going forth to manifest so that they can continue to reach that part of Jerusalem, other parts of Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. As a pastor, I can tell you by the grace of God, for the, I've been a pastor in pastoral roles for over 20 years by God's grace, but in this church, just coming to about five years since God helped us to plant here, but I can tell you that it is virtually impossible for me to serve by this privilege in this position if I am not prospered personally as a person. It is impossible to do the work because so much is demanded almost every time of my energy, of my resources, of my time, of my emotions. So if I am bankrupt spiritually or bankrupt emotionally or bankrupt even financially, it will be impossible for me to be an effective witness in this Jerusalem and everywhere else he has called me to be. And it's the same for you as a person. So every one of us must understand that the word of prosperity is not a demonic gospel. It's not an American gospel and it's not a Nigerian 419 gospel. It is obviously a message from God to our generation, fit for our generation, for us to fulfill our mandate before Jesus comes back again. Can I hear you shout hallelujah somebody? Hallelujah. Amen. So let us understand the context and this is why God has called us as a church to continue to raise for him a people of purity, power, purpose, and prosperity. And by the special grace of God, we will continue to embark on this mandate Till Jesus comes. Hallelujah. So the entire book of Acts 
was compiled by one of the apostles, one of the doctors among the apostles, I believe the only doctor among the apostles, the initial 12 apostles, in the person of Luke. Luke was a very, very intellectual man. Luke had also the gift of writing history. He was part of every journey of uh, Apostle Paul, and he was part of every journey that Jesus had. So he had a very unique encounter. And so when he wrote the book of Acts, he said, this is my second book, Have Having written my first book in Acts chapter 1 verse 1, he said to Theophilus, he said, this is my second book. So he was talking first about his gospel, the gospel of Luke, and then he wrote this book as his second book, the book of Acts. What Luke wrote for us is a deductive and a prescriptive book. Deductive because we can learn the history of what happened, but prescriptive because we can also know what we ought to do because it was an account of the early church which Luke documented so that we can know what happened when the early church was formed and we can also learn one or two things. Now, there is things that we must do from the book of Acts, but there are things that are just there for our own records. For example, in the, at the end of Acts chapter 1, that's why I said you should read the entire chapters because I'll just be talking about what happens in each chapter. At the end of Acts chapter 1, the Bible says they wanted to replace Judas. Judas had hung himself. We know his story. After he betrayed Jesus Christ, he went and hung himself. Uh, and um, after the resurrection, they, were, they remained 11. And they wanted one person to take over their, uh, the, the place that Judas left. And the Bible says that they cast lots among themselves. Now, we don't cast lots anymore to put people into offices in, 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 in the church setting. All we do is we just let the Holy Spirit lead us and we appoint people into pastoral offices, offices that are akin to deaconship and eldership and so on and so forth. We are not so particular about those titles, but much more about how they function. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we don't necessarily do that anymore. And by the way, what they did was very funny. They picked two people and they said to God, which of these two would you want? They have already picked two. I thought it would have been better for them to say, Lord, show us whichever person you want us to select. <laughs> Hallelujah. It just, again, a documentation of that is to show us at times the limitations of man. The church has never been a perfect church. The body of Christ, if you are here and you are looking for a perfect church, you are looking for something that is going to happen only once. The day Jesus comes back. That is the day you will find the perfect church. The Bible says that we all are being perfected. We are being changed from one image of glory onto the other. And so many people have roamed around from church to church looking for the perfect church. I was listening to Matt Chandler very, very popular young man who preaches in the States. And uh, I was listening to him recently. And he said, you know, it's so funny how people look for perfect churches. And he said, if you are here for the first time and you have been enjoying our church since last week, that means we have done well so far. And I'm guaranteeing you that in two weeks' time, you will see a lot of the things that we have not been doing as correctly as you thought we would have been doing. So please don't be discouraged. And uh, that, that really, really made me smile because it is very true that many people do look for perfect churches and perfect pastors. There is no perfect church, there is no perfect pastor. But the Bible says there is a power that should come upon the people who tarry in Jerusalem. 
As we go through these nine sessions, I want us to begin to prepare ourselves. This will launch us into our anniversary, our fifth anniversary by the grace of God, which will be celebrated on September the 2nd, 2018. Hallelujah. Amen. I can't believe that the church is half a decade already. But here we are, by the special grace of God, we are. The theme of that convention, that conference, or that anniversary will be the empowered church. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a big hand one more time. So, our session today is to start us into that journey that will see the different components of empowerment that God has taking the church, initial church too, through, that we can learn from so that we can actually actualize what God wants for us as becoming the empowered church. Everything I have said so far is the introduction to my message. May God help us in Jesus' name. Psalms 133 verse 1. God's desire is that the church be united. But we must understand That everything that we need to do in order to be a united people is in our own hands. Let's read together verse 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Verse 2. It is like precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. Verse 3. It is like the dew of Hammon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Don't forget Jesus said that the thief comes not for to steal, not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have what? Life and life it more abundantly. Life forevermore. Life eternal. The Bible says... The coming together of the saints. He said it is good when brethren dwell together in unity. He said because it is like the dew of Hermon. First, like the oil that is poured on the head of Aaron flows down his garments. It is also like the dew of Hermon which descends upon the mountains of Zion. He said for there the Lord commanded the blessing. Now the devil knows the significance and the importance of unity. And if there is anything the devil will want to do against the body of Christ today is to keep attacking her unity. To make sure that the church does not remain united. He has no problem in people becoming saved. Because as long as people can be saved but they cannot find their place in connecting to other believers to form the cohesive united body, he continues to win. Because God's design is that brethren dwell together in unity. God's design is that brethren come together and bring what each person has together to make parts of the body. It is like our physical body. As useful as a hand can be and as a leg can be, individually those elements are useless in themselves. They only become very useful when the hand and the leg become part of a body and then they are functioning in their roles and then they find fulfillment in those things. This is very important for us. 
And so the context of unity in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3 and 4, I want us to quickly skim through so that we can understand some of the things that God wants us to understand so that we don't allow the devil to continue to use this unity against us as a body of Christ within this local assembly and also with other churches locally and regionally and nationally and globally. Praise the Lord. There are four things that I want us to pick up from each of the chapters I've mentioned. In Acts chapter 1, I want us to learn about unity in expectation. Somebody say unity in expectation. Now Jesus had said to them in Acts chapter 1, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait there. He said, and you will receive power. We read that in verse 8. Now, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Let's read together. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Verse 9. Let's read verse 9. We're just picking some verses. Verse 9 now. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. That was the last time they physically saw him. Other expressions of Jesus later on, he appeared to Saul at conversion. He appeared by voice to John in the Isle of Patmos and so on. But as a collective group, that was the last time they set eyes on him physically. He was received up into the clouds. Then verse 12. Let's read that quickly now. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is where? Near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Verse 13. Verse 13. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Look at that. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Not Judas Iscariot, obviously. Judas Iscariot had died. Now, the reality and the emphasis, like I said, Luke was a very detailed person. The emphasis there is to help us to see the unity that was existing, that nobody felt they had to do their own thing. Nobody felt... Man, Jesus had said his own, but I don't feel led to go to Jerusalem now. The Bible says when they had entered, just like he has commanded, they all went there. Let's read verse 14. Verse 14 now. These all, somebody say all. all. These all continued with what? One accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Hallelujah. It is so important that we see the first church demonstrating the power of unity. Jesus commanded them to go, and they all went. None was missing. Every one of them. The Bible says these all. They did not just do it for one day. They continued. Why am I saying this today? One of the major weaknesses in the body of Christ today is a lack of unity in obedience, especially on the platform of expectation. Believers no longer have that tenacity of purpose to tarry in God's presence. We receive a prophecy today 
and we get frustrated the second day if we have not seen it come to pass. We are a microwave generation, fast food generation, drive-in generation. Have you noticed that every food chain now has a fast food and drive through Every food chain, Starbucks, mention it. Everybody, if you cannot do a drive through now, you are likely to run down your, your own business if you sell food. If you can't. If you don't have self-service checkout in your supermarket and it's a large supermarket, you are likely to lose customers. A generation that just wants things done so instantly. And the more we are getting into those cultures, the more we are bringing it into our spirituality as well. And we cannot use science to confuse God. If God decides that something must take five years, there's nothing you and I can do about it. <laughs> you have to wait for five years. But we want to, like we have improved our technical processes and our ways of doing things and moving as quick as possible. Like we have done those things, we want to be able to also rush God. The Bible says they all continued. Not one of them, after day one, said, man, this is serious, man. Peter, I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. <laughs> I got some fishing to do, man. <laughs> no, not, not one. They all continued. If the body of Christ can come back to that place where when God speaks a word and he commands that we tarry together and wait together and pray together and trust together, if we can learn that principle, we will see greater works than the apostles of old ever saw in their time. Because he's the same God. The problem he has with our generation is impatience. Lack of the ability to wait. We look at the physical, look at what is happening today, and if it doesn't look like what God has promised, we give up. May God deliver us from impatience. May God deliver us from unbelief. In the name of Jesus. They were united in the place of expectation. The body of Christ must go back to that place where when God speaks a word to us, we are able to unite in waiting patiently for God to manifest. And he will surely bring it to come to pass. In the name of Jesus. Then we go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, my theme is that they were united in their message. What is Acts chapter 1? United in expectation. Acts chapter 2, united in their message. The Holy Spirit came upon them individually, as we read from Acts chapter 2 verse 1 to 8. And they were all filled. Individually, everybody got a touch from heaven by the Holy Spirit. But you see, they began... To speak in tongues and at that time because it was the feast of the Pentecost which was a feast that was normally done to mark the beginning of harvest Luke chapter 20 uh, sorry Leviticus chapter 23 you can read about the feasts in Jerusalem and the, the feast that was called the feast of first fruits is also the feast of the Pentecost so it was used to celebrate an initial harvest. When there is a first harvest, they celebrate it in readiness for the bigger harvest. And spiritually speaking, the day of Pentecost also was like an initial first harvest of souls. 3,000 people were added to the church after the Pentecost experience. But today we are not 3,000 believers across the world. We are over 2 billion believers across the world. But God's desire is that there should be 7 billion or 8 billion, as many people are on the planet. So we still have work to do. But what they were celebrating that day was a unity in the message. Peter 
who was like the spokesman, began to preach. And I believe others were interceding as Peter preached. And in verse 40, Acts chapter 2, verse 40, the Bible says, Acts chapter 2, verse 40, can I have that? Acts 2, 40, the Bible says, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41. Sorry, you don't have it there. I'm reading now, please. Acts 2, 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day, about how many? 3,000. 3,000 souls were added to them. And verse 42, the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Somebody say again, they continued. Unity is all about continuity. If we do not understand that we wait patiently with God and walk with God, continuing with God, we lose out on what God wants to do. The Bible says that day, 3,000 souls. Now listen to this. They were all baptized. That day, one single day, one person preached, 3,000 souls got saved, 3,000 were baptized, I can assure you, not that one person was the only person baptizing. All the believers were involved. And we never saw their name there, but God was using every one of them. What am I trying to say? As a body of Christ, we must learn how to be united in the spirit. In our message, the problem while the body of Christ is not having a message that is convincing to the world outside today is because we have many messages. We don't have a singularity of voice. We don't have a singularity of message that the world should just listen to, which is just a simple message about why Jesus came, what Jesus desires, and what he seeks from each person. We have all kinds of messages, and so the world out there is confused. On the day of Pentecost, even though the Holy Spirit spoke through them, and they spoke the languages of as many people who came, from all those places we read during the, the, the Bible reading, from Pamphylia, parts of Libya, uh, uh, Cappadocia, and all those places that were mentioned, Pamphylia. He said because they came from there, they were hearing their language, but everybody was hearing one thing, the wonderful works of God. The wonderful works of God. This is the message that the church needs to be sending out to the body, uh, to the people around Everywhere we are, whatever the church is called, the wonderful works of God. That is why the psalmist said in Psalm 34 verse 8, You come and taste and see that the Lord is good. He is a wonderful God. Hallelujah. So we must come to the place where again we are united in the message. And may God make us a church that is united in her message. In the name of Jesus. Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He said, now I plead with you. 1 Corinthians 1, 10. Let's read that together. It's on the screen. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Somebody say perfectly joined together. But what do we have today? We have a body of Christ where people want to do their own thing. When a commandment is given that 
brethren, this is what we want to do. Right there and then you have people who are already dissociating from it. And then we wonder why the body of Christ is weak. We must understand, Paul said, I plead, I plead with you, not unbelievers, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Speak the same thing. If you want power as a church and as a body of Christ, speak the same thing and don't let there be divisions among you. Anytime you see people who are speaking divisively, who are trying to divide a church, wherever that church is, never be a part of it. It is an enemy of the church. It has crept in suddenly into many church settings and many people have found themselves being victims of it. May God continue to deliver us from demonic divisions. In the name of Jesus. The church is meant to multiply. Every time there is a division, it's meant to be a holy division for multiplication. Anything that splits a church to break that church is demonic. Anyone that splits a church to break that church is demonic. Is working for Satan and her agents. We must be careful. I have been a part of church life for five decades. Next year, by the grace of God, I'll be 50 years old. I know what I'm talking about. I have seen too many times, too many people allow themselves to be simply used of the devil to do devil's work. We must keep resisting it. It is subtle every time you see a manifestation of it, whether in this church or anywhere God sends you, fight it spiritually. Resist it in the spirit. Pray against it. Because it is not of God. Paul said, I plead, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, speak the same thing. Be no, let there be no divisions among you. Be perfectly joined together. May God continue to help us to be perfectly joined together. In the name of Jesus. I'll go very quickly to Acts chapter 3. They were united in manifestation and ministry. Somebody say, united in manifestation and ministry hallelujah my prophet has come to take over the message <laughs> united in manifestation and ministry this means that we are using every individual gift that god has given to us collectively amen what i want you to know is that there is a gift that you have that i don't have and i will never have not because god is wicked but because there is a gift I have that you don't have and you will never have. But when you bring what you've got and I bring what I've got, we make a collective whole. Hallelujah. This is how it is. This is why when I see couples who are fighting each other because they are not the same thing, I say you don't understand. God deliberately made you different so that you can complement each other. If you both saw things the same way, it will be trouble. You will be falling into trouble together <laughs> easily because you are both seeing things the same way every time. So when one person sees it from one angle and has not looked at the other side, the other person will see it from the other angle and the one will be annoyed with that one. That, Why can't you see what I'm saying? Hey, God wants that other one to see the other side. So if you learn, then you will now see, oh, actually, I didn't think that deep. We won't do that again. <laughs> Hallelujah. That is how God does it. But you see, it's the same way in the body of Christ. But people now use that against each other. They say, oh, I don't like the way that thing is because we should do it like this. No, it is because what God wants you to do as a person, you must do. What God wants another person to do, they must do. Look at Romans chapter 12. 
Or first, Acts chapter 3, verse 11. He said, now as the lame man was healed, he held on to Peter and John. Peter and John. And all the people ran together with them. Very interesting story. Peter and John was about to enter, were about to enter the temple. That man came, and that man was there, and the two of them were looking at him. Peter was the only one talking. But John was equally as anointed. John was equally as heavily ordained. Received the same measure of the Holy Spirit. But there was something about that manifestation that I liked. Everything we read there was Peter saying, look on us. I have this. But nothing there ever showed that John ever felt threatened. John ever felt not a part of it. Because when you understand your place as supportive at any point, you always contribute to what that ministry should be. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 12 verse 3, he said, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Somebody say, I have my measure of faith. Lord, help me to use it for the collective whole. This is very important. If you read from verse 4, he said, For we, as we have many members in one body, all members do not have the same function. We don't have the same function. That's why some people can sing. And no matter how you try, you can't sing like them. Don't try it. But there's something else you can do. You can write. Some of them can't write the way you would write things. You can preach. You can do other things. There is a way God enlists people in the different gifts. Look at verse 4. He said, for as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. Verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Individually. We are in the, we have our individuality in our unity. We must celebrate our individuality in our unity. We must not use our individuality as points of conflict to make us disunited. Our individuality should help our unity, not bring about disunity. Hallelujah. God knows what he's doing when he gave some to be called apostles. He knows what he's doing when he called some pastors and teachers. He knows what he's doing. Finally, in Acts chapter 4, they were united in purpose and in purse. They were united in purpose and in purse. What I mean by purse is in welfare. They were united in purpose and in purse. How, how many people can read for me? Acts chapter 1, what was it? United in expectation. Acts chapter 2, united in the message. Acts chapter 3, united in their manifestation and ministry. Acts chapter 4, they were united in what now? Purpose and purse. Amen. Let's read Acts 4.1 as I start to bring this to a close now. Acts 4.1. The Bible says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. This was when persecution arose. After the man was healed, and they were confused about what to do with the Christians. Verse 2. Verse 2. The Bible says, Being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Don't forget, a lot of people were still Jewish. They didn't like this idea that Jesus died and resurrected again. They felt it was heretic and it was, 
shaking the very root of their Jewish traditions. Verse 3. Verse 3, quickly. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody. You see, when the Bible says they laid hands on them, it's not that they prayed for them. That means that they beat them up seriously. It is not that when they say they laid hands on them, evil people don't lay hands on good people like this. That means that they really dealt with them. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I emphasize that because, again, our believer generation must understand the place of suffering for Christ. There are times that people will lay hands on you, not physically like this. They will cast aspersions on your person. They will, they will make life difficult for you. They will spread lies about you in the workplace. They will say things you haven't done. Or they will even leverage your errors and overblow it out of proportion. They will do all sorts of things to you just because they want to mess up the message that God has given to you. You and I must know how to stand. They do that to individuals. They will also do it to a church. Somebody was telling me what somebody told them about this church in Manchester. All the way in Manchester. And I'd never seen this person. I don't know about this person. And the person was talking about my person. And saying all sorts of things just about 10 days ago. Saying all sorts of things in Manchester. I said, wow, I've become so popular that somebody can be talking about me in Manchester. And I'm right here in Warsaw, never seen them there. But that is how life is. People will say things and we must be as a believer generation. Remember that we must be a people who remember that others have suffered worse things. They laid hands on them until the next day because it was evening. And being greatly disturbed, they taught the people. Hallelujah. Verse 4 says, however, somebody say, however. Many of those who heard the word, they did what? They believed. And the number of the men came to about what? 5,000. Somebody say, the work of God is unstoppable. They thought that when they had dealt with them, that would bring enough a discouragement. But God continued to multiply the work. God will continue to multiply you. God will continue to increase you. Let me tell you, if you learn how never to give up, you will continue to see results. Many people have fallen by the wayside because they allow people to discourage them. Many people are no longer Christians today because people and other Christians many times discourage them. You will not be discouraged. Keep going. Keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. As you continue to find him, he will continue to strengthen you. As a church, we cannot afford not to keep looking unto Jesus. We have to continue because the Bible says, as we continue, regardless of whatever the persecutions, the devices of evil, many of those who will be hearing the world in this building, across the airwaves, through the internet, many of them will be believing and the number of disciples will continue to increase. In the name of Jesus. I want you to believe God today that we will be united in expectation. Let us believe God today that we will be a people who are not just a, 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 a follower of those things that are you know, frivolous and those things that have no basis, but we will be a people who are hearing from God, waiting on God, and trusting God for higher things in the name of Jesus. The Lord will continue to cause us to be expectant and will continue to cause us to receive all that he has promised us. In the name of Jesus, we will be united in manifestation in the name of Jesus. We will be united in ministry in the name of Jesus. We will be united in purpose and in the purse in the name of Jesus. Time fails us to read. Read the rest of chapter 4 from verse 32. The Bible says they came together and they were making sure that nobody lacked anything. 
we must continue to make sure that we're looking after each person's good. You know what? Many times we think that the only solution to people's needs around us is only in money and in material things, which is true to a large extent, but it's not the only thing. At times, people next to you need a phone call from you. People next to you just need that word of encouragement. They've had a very harsh day. You don't know what it does. You don't know what it does. At times, some of these pastors, just call them. Don't wait. Don't say, ah, pastor. You don't, there's no need to call pastor. Pastor is always like that. You don't, when the Holy Spirit prompts you, <laughs> call that man. Just call him. Call him. Even if you don't get him, leave a voicemail. Say, pastor, I just wanted to call you today and to say, God bless you. Leave that voicemail. You don't know what it can do. <laughs> Hallelujah. But many people think that it's not necessary. They say, ah, they say, that, that Brad Conte is a very strong man. When you see him like that, you know. <laughs> when you see him like that, he's, uh, all the problems are solved. No, if the Holy Spirit says, call the brother, call the brother. Let's rise to our feet and let's just give God praise. Well,